for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to talk about our Big Ten rankings, and today we're going to be talking about coaches of the Big Ten. So we're going to be ranking the coaches from 1 to 14, and we're going to get right into that in just a moment. But before we begin, I just want to remind you that this show's popularity, its growth, is entirely dependent on you and what you've done to support the show, and we appreciate that greatly. Obviously, continue sharing it with your friends and family and other Spartan fans you might know. It's what has made this a top 100 basketball podcast in America, which is kind of hard to believe considering all the different professional and college sites and, of course, personalities who are well-known within <laughs> college basketball. But because of your support, because of either financial or the, just sharing it, uh, it has made it possible for us to do things that I did not think was possible a year ago. And Rod certainly would agree with that. You know, having, having Jay Billis on, having Robbie Hummel, Mike DeCourcy, assistant coaches, players, uh, these sorts of extra content and I think interesting aspects of the game that you don't just get with pregame and postgame analysis and maybe some recruiting updates. Uh, it's special. I think it's unique. It's one of the cool things about being a Spartan fan because we actually care about this stuff and we don't just believe in football and then occasionally there's this basketball game coming being played so anyway uh, continue to support the show in any way you can leaving rated reviews is incredibly helpful it helps the, the metrics on the algorithms for both apple and spotify so please take a moment pause hit five stars leave a written review that's even more powerful to lead other spartan fans to our show uh, also you can go to the final fours on the schedule.com or tffinots.com there you can give a uh, one-time donations, either via PayPal or Venmo, or you can also do a recurring gift, which is greatly appreciated, uh, through Patreon at patreon.com slash MSU Tiffnots, or you can just go to the support page on our website. You can also sign up for email lists there too, so you can get emails of things going on, contests and things like that, which you know we'll have in the future. Uh, you're not going to get spammed, I promise you. We don't send out that many emails. So now that we got all that out of the way, let's get into the show. We'll start with coaches and go backwards from number 14, Rhodes, Ben Johnson, uh, Fred Hoiberg, Chris Collins, Rod Woodson, Chris Holtman, Jawan Howard, uh, Willard, Brad Underwood, Guard, Fran McCaffrey, Steve Peichel, Matt Painter, and then number one is to Izzo, which is not a surprise, and that's not even a slappy sort of take. I don't think anyone, uh, I don't think any, many people would dispute that. <laughs> no, uh so I, I guess, you know, I don't either. there are obviously going to be a lot of disagreements, I suppose, in some respects and for where you have sure. ranked players or coaches. So what is your criteria and how you rank these coaches? Because you, know, you have Rhodes is last and, you know, but he hasn't even coached yet. Is that sort of part of the reason that he's last? Right. And so that's 
yes. And, and I'm not going to claim to be 100% watertight in terms of the consistency. <laughs> and there's definitely room for debating some of these, but I'll try to explain where I landed as, as we go. So Mike Rhodes, of course, is the, the new head coach at Penn State. And he actually has had decent success at Virginia Commonwealth. So it will not be a shock to me if a year from now, if he's able to get Penn State to surprise a little bit, if we might be talking about him in a higher spot. Um, But he's fresh to the Big Ten level. And so unless you were talking about somebody coming in with a major track record as as a head coach into this conference, um, you know, like Chris Holtman, for example, when he came from Butler, had been on some NCAA tournament runs right. already. So I wouldn't have ranked him mm-hmm. last. But if if you're not coming in with that, and Mike Rhodes, although he's done a nice job at VCU, does not have that kind of track record, I think you kind of have to default to that spot. If Mike Shrewsbury had stayed in that job, I guarantee you I would have had him higher. Oh, than yeah, next. for sure. Um, but it's it's just kind of where it lands for, for that reason. Um, next guy on the list, 13, Ben Johnson. I, I like Ben Johnson and I thought Ben Johnson did a whale of a job his first year at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, he took a team that the entire roster was scorched earth. I think he had one guy yep. back from uh, Richard Patino's last team. And it was, you know, a mid-major all-star kind right. of uh, roster via the transfer portal and his team basically went with a six-man playing group I mean it was remarkable but they they won some games and more than that were competitive even when they didn't win in a way that I didn't I don't think many people saw mm-hmm. coming and so that was really impressive now last year it it started a changeover and you started seeing him actually try to build his program rather than his first season, which was just a, well, I've been hired in April. I've got to pull (laughs) a roster together (laughs) kind of move. Right. And uh, Minnesota was really bad. We spent a lot of time talking about it on the podcast, especially considering MSU never ended up actually playing them Uh, during the season. We talked about it a lot, but Minnesota last year really was historically bad by big 10 levels. If you look at where they were rated by various metric systems, Ken Palm, Torvik, et cetera, you know, normally a bad team, like a last place team in the big 10 is going to be, you know, anywhere in 120, 130 range in Ken Palm. Let's say Minnesota was sub yeah. 200. <laughs> so it was really bad. And I, look, I still think Ben Johnson's got a shot. Because I did like what I saw, the way he got his team to play in its first year um, showed some promise. But the bottom line is you have to be able to get talent. And that's where it it hasn't really come into focus yet for him um, as to whether he's going to be able to upgrade Minnesota's talent level uh, sufficiently in order to allow them to compete. And, and so I really can't justify putting him any higher based on right. that. And, you know, when you talk about talent, of course, the next coach is Fred Hoiberg, who has admittedly had talent, but just has not been able to really put good product on the floor yet. 
the end of both the last two seasons and certainly more last season than even the season before start to look like a cohesive team a little bit, you know, where maybe, you know, maybe he's got some coaching juice, Absolutely. right? I mean, Tomanago is certainly, um, you know, a discovery and his son too. Look, um, Fred Hoiberg did a really nice job at Iowa state right before he left, uh, to go to the pros. So that would have been an example. Had he come right from Iowa or when he actually, when he took the Nebraska job, I would probably have ranked him significantly higher than I've got him now because he had a track record of success at a, at a good enough level that you would figure it would translate. It's been a big mystery to me why it's been so difficult at Nebraska for him, but it has, he just up until last season, it was last place finish after last place finish. And then finally last year, he seemed to find the formula. I think they ended up nine and 11 in the league, which relative to where they've been, it was fantastic. So, you know, we've got them at 12. It's possible he goes up from here if he can continue that momentum, but he's got to do it more than one year. It's been a real shocker for me because honestly, when they hired him, I believe, I think I've got this right, that they hired him. Mm, it was definitely the same cycle as Juwan yeah, Howard. it's been four or five years, I think. Um, yeah, and I was absolutely convinced that Hoiberg would have a better go of it than Juwan Howard, and that just has not been the case. And again, it's strange. I'm not quite sure why that's happened. Um, I can see what the problems have been as he put as the team has been put together year to year, like how they played, but why he struggled to put a more competitive roster out there by now is a bit of a mystery to me because, you know, this isn't an example of, well, this guy was an NBA coach. He doesn't understand the college game. He did it at Iowa state and he actually did it in an environment. The way he ran his program was way ahead of its time. So you would think the portal would just be gold for Fred Hoiberg. Yeah. And and he was able to use it effectively last year, but up until that point, he really struggled with it. Yeah, you know, it's, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Red Wings, you know, when they had all the Russians and they, they were sort of the, the forefront of that, of that process. And so maybe Hoiberg was yeah. so successful because he's kind of the only guy doing it. And then it, once other people started doing it, it was, um, you know, that formula. I mean, it started getting copied, right? Or the or the Oak. The Oakland days yeah, right. of baseball with exactly. money ball, you know? Yeah, you're right. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Well, I, I, but I still think, you know, I think Nebraska has a chance to be competitive this coming season. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. what happens and, uh, there. And Hoiberg joined Nebraska in 2019. Um, right. So same yeah. year as Dewan Howard. I was I was just trying to remember whether Chris Holtman had also come in that year, but I don't think. Another guy did. I think expected a little bit more success and is Chris Collins, who at Northwestern, Especially after what is his third season, they made the NCAA tournament the first time ever in the history of the school. Right, uh, and then they right. dark period for long many years to the point where we were at, wondering if he's going to even lose his job. They go to the NCAA tournament, win a game, you know, last last year, which is a pretty good accomplishment. the The question I guess I have is: is he? A, I don't think he's a bad coach, but I guess you know from a coaching standpoint, X's and O's is he is he that good, or just has he just had trouble attaining talent at Northwestern? Well, I think that I think he is a good coach. And and I think that particularly when you look at the way they defended last year, 
you can't you can't do that if you don't know if you don't have a semblance of a clue as to what you're doing right um so i give him credit for that I, you can't rate him any higher though because of exactly what you said they had that breakthrough season first time in program history they go to the tournament and and then it, it felt like he actually had upgraded his recruiting on the back of that i mean people may or may not realize this but he had some guys on that team who he beat out programs like Michigan and Ohio state for. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, he was not just getting by with, well, this is a sub 150 ranked guy that I've coached up. He had some real legitimate top 100 talent and they just couldn't make it stick. And it's interesting that last year in the wake of losing one of those guys I'm talking about Pete Nance, who was a highly recruited guy and statistically did some good things at Northwestern, but the teams he played on were never very good. Um, and then the, the big kid whose name is escaping me who Ryan went Young, to Duke. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Ryan Young. Um, they lose those two guys. And yet last season is the, the year they have the tournament. <laughs> right, yeah. um, so I, I think you have to give him credit for doing, look, nor, uh, clearly history tells us Northwestern is, is as about as difficult a place to win as any power five job there is. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Histori right. Historically, that's unquestionably true. Um, and he's had a couple seasons where he's had those breakthroughs. So now the question is, unlike the last time this happened, can he sustain it? You know, that'll be the question going into the next season. I think they can be competitive. They really got hurt by Chase Audige deciding he was done with college. If he'd come back, I, I, I think they would have had an outstanding chance to be a tournament team again. Now, they've got a chance. Boo Booey coming back certainly helped. They've got some other guys that can play, but it's a little more dicey. But if, if he wants to solidify or improve this, you know, where he sits in the, in the hierarchy of coaches in this league, I think he has to find a way to do that, to sustain success a little yeah. bit more. Well, and then then we move to Rod Woodson, who's been... Mike, Mike was, Woodson. Mike, sorry, Mike Woodson, yeah, who's... <laughs> wrong Woodson. Uh, who's in his third year at Indiana. Uh, you know, he traced X. He walked into a pretty decent situation when he got to Indiana, and he's had some good recruits that he's brought in. Uh, but I think, you know, not much success in the postseason. Uh, he is, and even the regular season, it's been sort of iffy. It certainly has a lot of experience, you know, with obviously University of Indiana and also in the NBA. Uh, you know, I, I, I know you've been sort of down on him and you got to rank, someone's got to be 10th, but uh, it, this seems like a pretty right place for me too, because what he's had, I feel like he hasn't done a whole lot. You look, you could are you could make an argument. The pro Mike Woodson case is, hey, they finished second in the conference last year. And he's made the tournament both seasons he's coached there. Although the first year was he was in the uh yeah, um, first first four. Yeah. yeah, he was in the play in game. But he won it, you know. Yeah. Um those are the pro arguments. The counter arguments are, as you just said, he had a good amount of talent to work with, and the fact that they haven't really been even close to making a tournament run. Um, you know, both years, their NCAA tournament losses were kind of laughers. I mean, they weren't close. Um, that doesn't speak well. And I think, you know, we, we joke about it all the time, right? That I picked them to win the big 10 last year, <laughs> but I also said they're not going to win it. Well, that's kind of what happened with that team is why, Yeah. you know, I just knew 
this is not going to work entirely as well as it did. Now, second place finish, nothing to be embarrassed by, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's I can, I can understand somebody reading this and saying, well, that's unfair. He should be higher. Maybe, but I, I think that, you know, what's this, what's the scale that you're, you're using to evaluate it, right? If it's Archie Miller, well, he's had a better run than Archie Miller did so far. I'll give him that. Right. But he's, he's not done what Tom Crane did. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, they ran Tom Crane out. So what does that mean? I, I think for now, this is kind of where you got to sit him until he actually does something, until he wins a league title, goes on a, mar- a second weekend run at least, you know, something of that nature. I just don't see how you put him any higher. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, you know, by that extent, it's the, next play- the next coach, number nine, is Chris Holtman at Ohio State, someone we thought would have a lot of success uh, and has yep. had some, but not a whole lot. And, and it's uh, teams that have underachieved and certainly uh you know from a defensive standpoint they've been disasters yeah. most years outside of yeah. his first year or so so it, yeah. it makes you wonder a little bit especially when you look at the defensive aspect of it like did this guy just not does he not know how to, i mean is he like fran mccaffrey does he not know how to coach defense i don't know i mean it, it makes you wonder right i don't understand it because he wasn't this bad at butler but look holtman's a tough one to slot in because he made the tournament his first four years before not making it last season. So you can look at that and say, well, look, making the tournament four out of five years is not bad. Mm -hmm. Is that really the ninth best coach in your league? But I would argue his teams have underachieved. As you've said, look at the amount of talent that he's had on those rosters and what they've done with it in both the regular season and the postseason. not much, you know, they, I, I don't know that the bar, after you come off, you know, a long period of time, basically a decade plus with Thad Mata, is is making the tournament four out of five years a, a, a successful job well done? I don't know that it is. And and so that's my issue. I, and then, of course, this year, not making the tournament at all did not put a good end on things. But I will say this. I think they've got a chance to be as improved as anybody in the country next season, not just the big 10. I really believe that because one, they were bad last year. (laughs) That helps. You're starting, (laughs) starting from a low point, but we know Michigan state fans know at the end of the season, Ohio state, despite having some key guys out, were actually playing their best basketball of the year with young guys leading the way. They've added another very good recruiting class. They've also added some important transfers, including Jamison Battle from Minnesota, which was quietly, I think, a really big get for them. Yeah. So on paper, there is reason to think that Ohio State could go from, you know, whatever they were, 13th last year, I think. Yeah. I I'm I haven't done my I'm not ready yet because the rosters haven't fully settled. <laughs> At least a month but, away. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to have Ohio state, in my top five in the conference at least. And I might have them a little bit higher than that. I might have them fourth or even third. They're not going to be in my top two. We all know who the top two are going to be, but they, they're going to be right there after that. I think Chris Holtman, in my opinion, has to live up to that. I think the expectations are going to be there for them to have a pretty good year 
and I think they need to have a pretty good year. So we'll see. But I, I think the clock is ticking for him, and this is a very important season coming up. So in to round out the bottom of our, our bottom seven for uh, coaches ranking is Jawan Howard from the University of Michigan. And, uh, you know, I think you could, I guess some people could argue that that's not fair because, um, you know, yes. Michigan State podcast or whatever. Like, But I think, you know, objectively you look at it and uh, you see a team that just doesn't seem to – I mean, I guess you could say he had a, two, a couple runs going to the Sweet 16, and you can't, that's not nothing. Uh, he's definitely gotten some talent. Uh, you know, one is his son, which you'd hope he'd land his son. But um, uh, he's definitely got some problems when it comes to, you know, personal issues as far as like, you know, anger management. We've mentioned that at, at times. And, and, you, and you wonder too, control over the, the team, because uh, mm-hmm. we saw lots of kind of crazy stuff from Hunter Dickinson last year. I mean, I guess you could say it's just his style, which, okay but you would want to follow that up with success on the court. And you had a team last year that just whenever they had an opportunity to close at a game, they would fall on their face. Uh, So it was kind of, it was kind of strange. And so I, I, you know, again, that's, I guess that's why you put him here because he has not built a program that is, that is uh, super strong at this point. And this is not even taking account this year, which is, I think, you know, an indictment against, (laughs) against, you know, maintaining a, a good program. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, look, I think there's a few things here. The trajectory is in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right? Two years ago, they did get to Sweet 16, so I give them that. But we also have to keep in mind they barely made the tournament. Right. Yeah, they're playing. Yeah. Okay. This year they didn't even pull that off. They didn't make the tournament, and then they coughed up a huge lead to exit the NIT in the second round just to put the cap on it. Yeah. Um, if I look at his four-year run, he had one great year. He won the Big Ten, went to the Elite Eight. Can't take that away from him. And that's more than some of these guys we've got either immediately ahead of him or just behind him have done, right. you know? So that's where if somebody were to come to me and say, well, you're unfairly, you're ranking him unfairly here. That would be where I think the, that argument would go. And, and fair enough. I can, I can hear that, but at the same time, um, let's look at the overall track record. His first year tournament was canceled by due to COVID. They were likely going to make the field, but it wasn't easily. Yeah. There was a point in time, in fact, where it looked like they were dead in the water. They recovered enough 
to where I think it was pretty likely they were going to make the tournament, but it was kind of like two years ago. They were going to make the tournament, but nobody had any real expectations for mm-hmm. them. And that was with John Beeline's roster basically as well. Then the next year, okay, they, they go to the elite eight to win the big 10, but it was the COVID year. And I think one of the things that we can conclude is that that season really does look like an outlier in a lot of ways. I think it just, it, you know, Duke doesn't make the tournament. Kentucky doesn't make the tournament. Michigan state struggles. Um, You know, the, the things that we count on as regular regularities in the game were out of kilter. So I don't take it away from them, but I don't know that I give it as much credit. You know, you never had to play a true road game that season, you know, because crowds weren't allowed. You know, there's all those kinds of things that give them credit, but maybe not as much as you would normally assign for that. And then we see the last two years where it's clearly heading in the wrong direction. So that's where I land. I think he lands in this spot and not lower because he does have that elite eight. So I'll give him that. But I don't think you can reasonably rank him much higher. You might be able to argue for seventh or sixth, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, at seventh is is Willard from Maryland, uh, who I think, you know, I think it's probably safe to say exceeded expectations last season, the Big Ten. Yeah, uh, you know, a team for that sure. did not look good, then, then looked really good, then looked eh, pretty terrible, and then looked good pretty much the rest of the, <laughs> rest of the year. So yeah. a team that and kind of made got the tournament, which yep. made the tournament, which was not a given in my opinion, heading into the season. And, you know, this is a guy who had a lot of success at Seton Hall. Not, and this is, again, if, if a Jawan Howard fan wanted to, wanted to um, argue with this ranking, okay, there's an, I'm going to argue that Kevin Willard's got a longer track record in a power conference environment and has done more for longer. But he also doesn't have an elite eight yeah, or, right. or a league championship under his belt. So fair enough, you could argue that. Um, I land here because I think Willard has done it for longer and has shown a little bit more consistency, but again, reasonable minds can differ on that front, but that that's my rationale. Yeah. And, and number six is Brad Underwood from Illinois, uh, your favorite, um, who, <laughs> who, who I, it is, uh, it, he's a tricky one because, you know, he's had success yes. in the big 10, right? I mean, he just clearly had success, not any success in the NC tournament. Uh, and from a, recruiting standpoint he's been fairly successful now since the transfer portal has opened up i think he's had he's struggled a little bit more uh with trying to get uh, cohesive rosters and keep his teams together and, and you know i yep. don't know if that's as much him or partly him. you know i mean it's it's hard to know sort of why those problems happen because with just such a short history of the portal being you know as it is you two years is really not a trend necessarily right it could just be just various circumstances and then you know, the next five years are stable, but it certainly feels like it is a kind of a, an unstable situation or at least like a program in many respects in, in Champaign. He's a, he is a tough one to rank. So the things you have to give him credit for, he has made Illinois once again into a perennial NCAA tournament team, which they had not been for a while. I mean, basically the back half of Bruce Weber's run and then John Gross's tenure, Illinois had really slipped as a program. So I I have to give him credit for that. That's the first thing he did manage to win the the program's first big 10 title in 
many, many years. Did that year before last. Um, and they've had a couple of years where they had high seeds in the tournament. Those are all positives. The negatives, I think, are he's had no success in March, none. And that's a big deal. You know, if you want to solidify yourself as a truly great coach, I think you need that. Or you need to have just unquestionable regular season dominance. We're going to get to that when we talk about the number two guy on this list. Right. Because he also doesn't have a lot of March success, but he's got so much regular season success that you can't deny it. Underwood hasn't gotten there yet. You know, you mentioned the lack of roster continuity. I think, you know, I think this coming season is going to be really interesting because as of right now, they've got a lot of talent once again, but boy, it doesn't look to me like they have an obvious answer at the point. And that was a problem last year. And it's what primarily I think was responsible for holding that team back. And it looks to me like that could happen again. So that's on Underwood too. Roster construction is part of it. I don't know how you go two years in a row and you just whiff on that position you know you, you can't do that and have and have sustained success so that's why i've got him where he is again you could argue and and the next three guys let's say on my list you could argue that underwood maybe deserves to be ranked ahead of them but i'll explain why i didn't end up there yeah well and i think you know the there's so many aspects going up the coaching, right? There's X's and O's. There's the ability to recruit, the ability to retain programs, the, you know, defensively, offensively, your success. And so there aren't many coaches that do all those things have had all right. So you have to sort of weigh them in some sort of way. And, you know, sometimes they're more important. And then between coaches, it just varies so much. And you're also, you also have to grade on a curve, so to speak. So Brad Underwood's had a lot of talent at his disposal. So it's going to be a different mode of evaluation for him, I think, than somebody like Steve Peichel. Right. You know, because they're running programs that were at two different phases. And yeah, give Underwood credit, some credit for getting that talent in there. But let's be honest, Illinois is an easier job than a place like Rutgers or a place like Northwestern. So you expect him to achieve more because he's able to attract that talent more easily. That's at least that's what I would argue. Yeah. And I think that just goes to the next coach is Greg guard at number five at Wisconsin. Uh, And he's a guy who you'd say has had actually pretty good regular season success. He's been able to do a lot with not much oftentimes from a talent perspective. And when he's had the talent, they did pretty well. You know, he had um, uh, Jordan last year or uh, Davis, the season before, right? Uh, yep. So, uh, but he has not had postseason success, but you could say in many respects, Wisconsin didn't have a whole lot of postseason success before him anyway, uh, on, with just the Kaminsky years, right? But um, I don't know. I mean, I guess he he seems to do a lot with not as much with these other coaches, like you said, with the other advantage that these other coaches have. Here's the thing. Okay, Greg Gard and Wisconsin fans, Danum, he's missed the NCAA tournament twice in three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. So six tournament bids, two misses. Um, after Bo Ryan had established that program as a dominant force for you know, 15 years, close to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that's a little bit of a come down. But then I look at it. Um, he's got two sweet 16s to his credit. That's the peak. 
but he's also won two Big Ten championships. Right. Yeah. So that's that's why I've got him where I do. Yeah. I think that he has he hasn't he's not been Bo Ryan. Bo Ryan is, you know, almost certainly gonna go down as the greatest coach I will ever see at Wisconsin. Um, he's one of the great coaches in Big Ten history, in my opinion. I mean, he was that good. Yeah. That I I would put him, you know, in the modern era, let's talk about the last 25 years. You know, you're basically talking about Tom Izzo in a class of his own, and then some combination of Bo Ryan, Matt Painter, and Thad Mata as the next three guys, in my opinion. Maybe John Beeline squeaks in there into that conversation and into a top five, I guess. But I would probably put out of that group, I, I might be inclined to put Bo Ryan at the top of it. So all of that is to say Greg Gardner a very tough act to follow. And I think by and large, he's done a decent, solid job at that. Mm-hmm. Not great, but not bad. And there's, you know, the two Big Ten titles says a lot to me. I think that's what that's why I give him the edge over Underwood and Willard and Howard and Holton is that he's got those in his back pocket and and that's more than the rest of those guys have. Sure. You yeah, know? I mean at some point you have to so, kind of split hairs, right? And so that's uh yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can argue it. Again, I, if somebody wants to argue Brad Underwood should be ahead of Greg Gard, there's an argument for it. It's just not one I find as compelling as the counter. And so the next you have Fran McCaffrey is fourth. And so this is the one that's kind of it's uh, <laughs> interesting, right? Because you have a guy who does not I, coach I am shocked. I am shocked that I concluded this, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Well, I was actually, when I saw your list, I was like, holy cow, fourth. And then I think about it like, well, you've got a guy who was, I guess you could give him a lot of credit for recognizing uh, that, you know, the twins as being, as being exceptional talents and bringing them into, despite, you know, the, the, uh, uh, despite all the people saying the Murray twins are not going to turn into anything, you know, that they were outside the top 100, right? Uh, he also has been very successful offensively, like one of the great offensive co- coaches. I mean, it seems like, but you could, but in, in some ways you kind of talk to Mike Garland. He said, well, part of the reason that their defense is so bad is yeah, their defense is bad, but it's also because their offense is, is not very good in some respects too, right? Like they shoot too quickly in the shot clock and it puts a lot of stress on their defense. Uh, so but he has had success. He hasn't won the Big Ten. He hasn't done a whole lot in the tournament either. But, you know, right. he, he has been pretty good for a place that is not an easy place to win or is certainly fine talent. Exactly. And that is why I've got him where I do. It's the grading on the curve thing. I think Greg Gard is at a similar, you know, Wisconsin is also not the easiest place in the world to win objectively. But he was inheriting a program that had a much sturdier foundation. Fran McCaffrey was taking over from several years of Todd Licklider, who was just horrible. Yes. And period before that, Steve Alford with a couple of decent accomplishments, but basically um, failing to live up to expectations. And then even you go back to the last few years of the Tom Davis regime was not great. So Iowa had some rot in the program that goes well beyond what a place like Wisconsin had. So I think it was a tougher job in that way. Um, You're right. Fran does not have a deep March run. He doesn't have um, 
a, uh, a Big Ten title to his credit. But I think the fact, and, and again, this surprised me as I was doing it, but as I looked at it, <laughs> I concluded the fact that he's turned Iowa into a regular NCAA tournament team now, I mean, they're working on, they would have made the tournament in the COVID year. Right, they yeah. were on track to do that. Um, if they had done that, they would be working on a five-year streak. So it's really a four-year, four consecutive played tournaments they've made. Um, you mentioned the fact that he has found the, the Murray twins and before that, Luca Garza, none of whom were highly regarded recruits. Right. And they became superstars at the college level. That says something about his ability to spot talent and develop it. Um, so those are the reasons why, again, I could see arguments to the contrary. And those who are long-term listeners of the podcast know I am not a Fran McCaffrey fan. <laughs> I hate I hate the way he approaches defense. I think it makes it very difficult for his program to get much beyond where it's already been. But I had to put somebody here, and I'll tell you what I learned through doing this exercise. The Big Ten has traditionally been a, a conference with very strong coaching. And the reality is that, in my opinion, right now, it's not as strong as it's typically been during my decades of watching mm-hmm. it. We've got a lot of flawed programs out there and flawed coaches. And so somebody has to land in fourth. And that's kind of what, what I would use to explain and justify Fran being that somebody as well. The rest of these guys all have problems either, as well. I mean, there were, there were years not that long ago where you had, when you had Thad Mata, Bo Ryan, Tubby Smith, and John Beeline all in the Big Ten, in addition to Tom Izzo, those are all guys who have coached in at least one Final Four. Most of them multiple fi- – oh, and Tom Creed, too, yeah. was in at that time. That was like half the league <laughs> had that. We don't have that now. I mean, what we've got basically uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we've got one coach who is a Final Four to his credit in this conference. That's Tom Izzo. So it has changed and not for the good. And I think that some of the, you know, some of the younger coaches, and I'm using that, you know, uh, broadly, but guys like Holtman, Underwood, Howard, have not really lived up to expectations overall, you know? So, Anyway, that's why I've got Fran where he's at. Yeah, and that's reflected just by the Big Ten's lack of success in the NCAA tournament, right? That these, you know, there's a that's a good point. Right. That's something we really haven't made that connection. But you've got you, you may have something there. Yeah. Well, third would then be Steve Peichel, who has certainly not had any uh, much success at all in the in the NCAA tournament, but has been able to turn the Rutgers program, which I don't think has ever been good, and has made them right more than just a thorn in your side, which they were for a couple of years, but he is, despite having a lack of talent or people who could actually score, has put together a team that is tough and, a, and an environment, a venue that is actually challenging to go play in, which uh, wasn't the case yeah. before he got there either. Yeah. And, and this is clearly an example of grading on a curve. He does not have some of the accomplishments that some guys ranked below him have. I understand that, but 
I would rate Rutgers uh, right up there with a Northwestern as one of the toughest jobs in the country. Mm-hmm. And he took them to back-to-back tournaments. It would have been three in a row if the COVID year um, had not happened. Um, and just missed this season. And I think a lot of people conclude unfairly. Um, he has turned that program into one that cannot be disregarded. You have now have an expectation every year that Rutgers is going to be a difficult team to beat. Mm-hmm. And that alone is the sign of a very good coach. But I just, I have to look at it through the reality of how difficult it was to build even that, even a program that could just be competitive year in, year out at a place like Rutgers. That is a very difficult job. So I have to rank him here. If I were going to, I guess the way I look at it is if I just had a um, generic college basketball power five program and I said of these 14 guys, who would I choose? He would legitimately be the third guy on my list, you know, because he's now, by the way, if you're paying attention, he's starting to show the last phase of the development, which is real recruiting chops. Mm -hmm. He's got one top five recruit in the 2024 class already committed, and they're at least co-favorites for a second one. So that changes the dynamic even further. If now he's finally at a stage where he's actually getting elite talent into that into that program, then there's nothing left to there's nothing left to come at him with. Right. Then it's, then I guess the question is, you know, what can he do with that talent? If he can't, if he's still sort of where they are now, then you have to question right. whether he's the right guy too. Right. right. Yeah, it will be a, you're right. It will be a proving ground for him say, okay, now you've got elite talent. Can you raise the program from really competitive, like solidly middle of the pack, big 10 team to title contender. That'll right. be the remaining step. So next on the list is, and number two spot is Matt Painter, who has had, as you mentioned earlier, has had a lot of success in the regular season, multiple Big Ten titles. He's had, uh, you know, ability from an X's and O's standpoint. I don't think there's any question he's very good. And um, yep, the of course, you know, the one knock against him is that his team just can't seem to get out of the first weekend usually in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so you know, that's that would be his. That would be his downfall, which actually is very much like his predecessor. <laughs> yes. You know, that very was, much like Gene Cady. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, look, I, th- there's no questioning the idea that Matt, I think the gap between Matt Painter and the rest of the field is substantial. Yeah, I agree. But even though you might have the occasional contrarian try to dispute this, I would argue the gap between Tom Izzo and Matt Painter is substantial. And it's primarily based on March. Yep. Because that's the bottom line in this sport. You can you can wish it wasn't the case. You can argue why it shouldn't be the case as long as you want. The reality is you are first and foremost judged upon what you do in the NCAA tournament. Getting in and then having success once you're there. And that is the area that Matt Painter has struggled. He's had one good run. Yeah. He had an elite eight, probably should have had a final four out of it, but didn't. Um, He's never been to a final four. He's been to one elite eight. And then after that, you know, there's a, a stray sweet 16 or two, but a lot of first weekend failures. Yeah. 
And so that's, that's what holds him back. You can't question, look, he's a, he's an interesting combination of, he's a guy who absolutely embraces basketball analytics. So he's an extremely modern coach in that way. And yet you see aspects of him that do harken back to guys like his mentor, Gene Katie. You know, he, he feels, he feels more like an old school guy to me than say somebody like Nate Oates does, even though he's also very, um, very much a believer in deep analytics. Um, but if it's going to change, if Matt Painter is going to go from really good coach to something beyond that, it's pretty simple what needs to change. Right. Yeah. And he's got to figure out. And when we talked to Robbie Hummel, he was talking about how that the coaching staff was trying to figure out what's, you know, what's going wrong when it comes to the postseason. And I think, you, as you said, you can say it's not fair because they've won Big Ten titles and et cetera. But there actually aren't a whole lot of sports where winning a conference championship or something like that matters that much to fans. You know, like, you know, if your team's always losing in the, it's, in become, the, it's become that way, but like, you know, it's if you win the, that way, if you win the division in the NFL every year, no one really cares if you never make the Super Bowl. you know, no one cares if you win the American league central, if you never go to the world series, you know, there's a reason for that though. And this is people who make those arguments will say, yeah, that all of those things, the extended postseasons and expanded playoffs and all of that in professional sports serve to devalue the regular season and they're done primarily for money. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can't argue with that. Right. You know, I think a sport like baseball or a sport like hockey, or even the NBA, the NBA used to be a bastion of, hey, if you're going to go deep in the playoffs, you need to be a very, very good team in the regular season too. Right. Well, this year we've got an eight seed <laughs> yeah. in the, in the finals. That's rare in NBA history, but it's not that rare in hockey and football, baseball. Even, even football. They've had, you know, wild card football teams. To, the NFL is probably the best at, at translating regular season success to postseason success. Mm -hmm. But even there, yeah, it's it's so people who would argue that college basketball devalues the regular season have a point because all these other sports do, too. Mm -hmm. But you can cry about it as long as you want. <laughs> it's just the way it's it is. the reality. Yeah, it's the reality. And and the fact of the matter is, for the most part, teams that succeed in March are also teams that succeeded in the regular season. It, it's it's not like we typically have teams that, you know, barely got into the field. It happens occasionally. UCLA a few years ago in the COVID year being an example. But but by and large, that's not the pattern. You know, usually the teams that make it that far and even even this year's final four, you could say by seeding, it was a weird one. And it was. But if you look at the seasons those teams had, there wasn't anybody who went 19 and 15 in the regular season and got in through the play-in game. Yeah, Those were all teams. Florida Atlantic probably was underseeded because their regular season was tremendously successful. San Diego State, same thing. You know, UConn had a really good regular season. They just had a bad patch for a couple of weeks that cost them the Big East title. But those were all teams that had success, you know. So by and large, it, it's not that, oh, we have a free-for-all system in college basketball where 
you know, mediocre teams end up winning the title. That's, that's almost never the case, but there are plenty of examples of teams that had great regular seasons that don't manage to get it done. Well, and someone who has gotten it done is at the top of her list. And, you know, Tom Izzo, when you look at all those different criteria, X and O's, he gets that, uh, he's, um, successful during the regular season, successful during the postseason. obviously plenty of success. I guess you could argue he should have more national titles to be nice, <laughs> but that's got, that is really kind of a, a stretch. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then the other thing, which is maybe, I, I guess there are two other things. One is that he's had a very stable program and that it's been successful. And, you know, of course, you know, multiple tournament bids. I can't remember how many is 20 some right now, right? 25 or 25, 25, 25. Yeah. Uh, and then, but I think more so the fact that he took a program that was, yeah, they're okay. You know, Michigan State was not a great program by any means. They certainly were successful you know, with Magic Johnson, but they weren't like some powerhouse, like walking into Indiana where you have a lot of tradition. Uh, so he has made Michigan State into a household name, uh, yes. a blue blood, right? He He's like a, a new blue blood is sort of what, it, what has happened in and that's yep. maybe almost the most Im- impressive part of what he's done. Sort of, this is where, like you know, this is kind of what every school wants: is someone who comes in and can do that and establish a program, so that when they leave, there's a, you know, there's a lot left behind that they can to work with. I, I don't know that we'll ever see it again. I mean, I just think the nature of the sport has changed. It. The idea of a guy, you know, coming into his twenty eighth year, whatever it is, twenty eighth, twenty ninth year, whatever the number is now. Um, that alone, I just don't think you'll you'll see. Certainly not at a major conference level. Um, and then to have the success, it's a combination of everything, right? Yeah. It's that he has all the peaks, eight Final Fours, ten Big Ten titles, six Big Ten tournament titles. They're all easily best in the conference. Yeah. By right. by right. mine. Every metric, yeah. Um, over Every over metric. his tenure. Big Ten tournament but titles too. Yeah. 25, right, six, more than anybody. Um, then he's he's also uh, made the tournament 25 years in a row, which is the third longest streak in college basketball history, by the yeah. way. Um, that shows you that it's at every, it's, it's yes, there are these great peaks of accomplishment, but there is also the year in, year out consistency to make the tournament every year for that long a period of time is just remarkable. Yeah. And yeah. It, it goes to show you that he can, he's, he's probably, I'm convinced he's going to coach long enough. He's going to beat Bobby Knight's record and he's going to be the winningest coach in big 10 history before he's done. Yeah. I think so. So too. he's got that too. Um, it's just everywhere you turn, it's obvious. And I think he will not only end up, he's, he's not just the best coach of his era. I think when it's all said and done, there's going to be a very cogent argument for him as the greatest coach in Big Ten history. That's a tough battle because it's 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 him and it's Knight and John Wooden really. And well, he doesn't count. As, yeah, right, right. Yeah, um, no, I know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. We'll factor. We'll bring Lefty Grizzell into that conversation too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's, but I think there's I think there's a reasonable chance if he gets a second title, I think it's a lock. Yeah, I agree. That he ends up as the greatest. That That's probably what's got to happen to make it unambiguous. But anyway, he's the clear-cut number one here, no question. And I think, you know, the two other things that he mentioned, one, of course, recruiting, he's had 
success recruiting and maintain, which is part of the reason he's been so successful at the school and evaluating talent and, and, you know, and, and people developing under his program as well. Um, and so that's been very helpful to him as well. So I, I think, um, yeah, by every metric he is, he is head and shoulders. And I think to your point, I think he is, there's a bigger gap between him and painter than there is between painter and the field at this point. Now, Matt yeah. Painter has some success somewhere, you know, then we might have a discussion, but until that point when he has success in the postseason, right? you know, and he's got to have success for right. a couple of years, not just one time. Right. I think that's, that's Correct. the thing that, yes. um, that is, has got one on final four bid will not change this. No, even a national championship. I mean, which would be pretty right. amazing. Cause I mean, when's the last time Purdue was even in the final four? Was it 1980? Is that right? We, I think we went over Correct. that. Correct. 70, yeah. 79, 80, Joe Barry Carroll. Yeah. Lee Rose was the head coach. So it's a lifetime ago. Yeah, it's uh what Izzo has accomplished is remarkable and um yep. I I it's easy if you sort of grow up with it you to not even recognize what he has done and and what he and well, what we he's brought to the program. That from, we talk about that from time to time. I know. It's epitomized by the by the name of this podcast. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, well, I think we'll wrap up there. I just want to mention to you, if you if you're in West Michigan or in the southeast side of the state, absolutely, and you check out the brothers at Just Do Gutters. I've had a bunch of trade work. I had a new roof put on. I'm having my driveway replaced, and I've had my gutters replaced by those guys. Uh, they do fantastic work. But having someone who takes meticulous care and is passionate about what they do is super important. And that's what those guys are. They just do gutters. They don't do anything else. They're not someone who does the occasional roof and does some bathroom repairs and then puts on gutters. They just do gutters, which is why they're so good at it and why they can get competitive prices and will set you up right. So if you've got problems, even just leaf issues or whatever, they can put guard leaf guards in, they can replace, they can repair those gutters that are, can cause problems. So get a hold of Kurt and his team out on the west side of the state or Greg and his team on the southeast side of the state around the Detroit metro area. Uh, Greg's area is very big. So if you're my most listenership in Michigan is going to be covered by these guys outside of the folks who are in Lansing or up North. Uh, so check out that on the podcast player below. You can find the links there, or you can go to our website and find it there as well at the final force on the schedule.com. Uh, also nudge printing does, does fantastic work. They're part instrumental with the Spartan strong program. Uh, they raised, uh, over $100,000, I think $155,000 for Spartan Strong for the shooting victims of uh, in February. They have high quality, really nice gear. Uh, I've got some, I've got some t-shirts, I've got hoodies. The hoodies, are, the hoodie I have is great. It's not really hoodie season right now, but certainly uh, they're very breathable and they're very soft and really just comfortable. And I love it. And I, the t-shirts are my family's favorite. That's They exclusively wear those t-shirts and, and then um, for working out or for just getting walking around the house and stuff like that. So they are great and they still look just as good now as they did when we first got them. They've been washed, I don't know, a couple of dozen times at this point and they still look perfect. So, uh, again, high quality stuff there. You can get 20% off if you go to, uh, nudgeprinting.com, enter final four into the coupon code. That's one word final four. Uh, and so check out nudge printing. They got all kinds of stuff, not only with Michigan state, but other schools in the state of Michigan outside of the Wolverines. And I guess that's pretty much it. We'll come back, I guess, in another week with some of our other lists. But until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Mm-hmm.